welcome to the trigonometry show. Like to be here. So it's, it's always uh, fun to talk about shooting. earlier you haven't been shooting much recently is that just is that life getting in the way of shooting or is that just needing a break or what was the well I, i'm not um i think a little bit of both yeah um i had been doing a lot of testing shooting i was involved in a in a kind of a tv show and then you know i was able to take some of the testing that i had done and apply it and then uh there was a natural break for me, at least with the events I was doing to, um, you know, not, not really have anything front and center yeah. to, to apply myself to. I, I tend to like be objective based, not, not, not the kind of shooter that, that I just want to go out every, every weekend and just kind of shoot. I tend to make a list of goals and then try to go apply those. So, I realized I'd run out of goals. I spent the entire last year testing uh, equipment because of an event that I think got canceled, or at least it was postponed indefinitely. So you're, you you're talking about Jacob's assassin way there. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, I'm not sure exactly when it happened, but a little over a year ago, uh, an event was, was announced that that is really in line with my skill sets in the field and it was a month-long competition and and i thought wow this is really cool um you know it's gonna test things that i've noticed have inconsistencies and and obviously somebody with experience like jacob knows that if you take your rifle from one place to another some shooters do well and some shooters don't mm -hmm. and and I wanted to get to the bottom of, you know, what, what equipment really can traverse all of these different biomes and what, what, what rounds are going to perform consistently across these unknowns. And so I, I really just decided to commit to a year of uh, testing equipment and testing everything that, that, that the shooting community as a whole kind of takes for granted yeah. because I'm not a lifelong precision rifle shooter i kind of stumbled into it a few years ago and although i was shooting okay um you know i didn't i would either be repeating what i had read or repeating things that i had heard but not because i had direct experience testing and confirming it and i thought wow this is a good experience to document the testing and confirming or 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 disproving some of the stuff that i had heard that i don't want to take for granted in the field yeah. And um, so I started to test that and then we ran into COVID and uh, continued to do that for a while. But then it was clear that that um, was going to be postponed. And so I, I had the opportunity to shoot on a reality show called Surviving Man. Um, and, uh, and, and so I, I switched to shooting a little bit more carbine and pistol. And then because I had been testing bolt gun, um, bullets loads weights barrels uh and reticle ranging the the nrl launched a series of, of competitions that they're calling the hunter mm -hmm. and and that, that was kind of that was more in line with what i had been doing so i shot some of the hunters although i had i 
competed on, you know, a number of NRL and PRS matches. I use those as outlets to test, um, to, to test some of the things that I had been doing. So I, I went in kind of not, not, not competitive. I went in shooting bullets really slow, shooting bullets really fast to see what, you know, what, what is it with pressure? Um, and what is it with velocity that, you know, where are the limits, uh, people here at least have been shooting, um, you know, light bullets slower and slower. And so I, I started to every match I went to, I slowed down the velocity of the bullet. Uh, and I got down, you know, to into the the 2,500 feet per second range with 105s, wow. really slow, yep. you know, and, and uh, you know, I had noticed that track and hit percentage as the bullet slowed down, obviously the hit percentage decreased, but also where I was missing, you know, rather than just missing from wind, um, you know, so I was able to track, you know, a decent hit percentage in the 2,800 feet per second. As that slowed, I started to miss more because of wind. And then as, as it slowed beyond that, I started to miss because of elevation also. Sure. And, and I thought that was, and, and if you plug it into a ballistics cal- calculator, you might be able to predict that, but it's another thing going to a match and say, all right, you know, I'm shooting at, uh, you know, 25, 2580 and you know the range and you shoot at it and you shoot over or under it and you think wow you know that that's really strange and <laughs> um and 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 all the effects of a slow bullet um and then and then likewise you know shooting at the upper end of that blowing primers and having pressure issues and seeing what happens uh when your load is too hot really does uh for me reaffirm finding a little sweet spot for each caliber and, and staying in that sweet spot. Um, so, so just, it's, um, I mean, you're, you're the way you've kind of approached and applied yourself to the shooting. Um, I was going to ask, but you've, you've said something that, that gave me another thought on it. I mean, you're, you obviously, I see on you're, you're involved in um, climbing, um, as a sport and have been for a while, I'd say. Have you previously been involved with sports coaching as well? I'm just trying to... Yeah, you mean, yeah. so it's a combination. You've almost approached shooting with a combination from what I see that, and, of course, now I understand the scientific method as well, that you're kind of analysing everything, which is what has kind of driven you to the the developing the craft project and your testing and your methodology, which is just like I say, it becomes, I do a bit of research on it now, it's a little bit clearer as well. Um, I think it's it's interesting as well because guys, myself included, everybody, we start delving into our ballistic calculators and looking for these minute differences between adding more velocity and everything. And we sometimes kind of get lost in that and forget about the actual shooting side of it. And I, I love saying to guys when they go, hey, does my, we have, so New Zealand's, bit different from the states although i said it's changing a little bit over there suppressors for us are an unregulated item so most guys hunting i'd say most uh will run a suppressor it's quite common to see people with with suppressors in new zealand and the question comes up well does my gun shoot the same if i take my suppressor off and my favorite answer these days is well go shoot it with and go shoot it without and you can actually answer that question yourself and people don't necessarily think that way of going oh actually i could just test this and I don't know if it's because they don't think it's got a methodology or they're just again 
wanting that answer given to them because something they can read on a on a blog or a forum from a perceived expert. But it's like, well, go shoot it with, go shoot it without. You get some shooting practice at the same time and you have the answer for your gun, your shooting, your rig specific to you. And it's um yeah. it can be quite simple, but I think like anything technical, we as humans we love to make it a little bit overly complex sometimes because that's how we kind of not have to deal with the human factor or ourselves by just looking into every other reason as well. So. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. I think it, it's natural to ask before you think about it too much. Yeah. I think everybody, you know, I'm not, I, I do the same thing. I'll, I, I'll ask somebody whose opinion I respect a question first before I go test it, just so that I kind of have left and right limits. Yeah. of yeah, yeah. you know what, what's a realistic test but but i also like you know because the the range i shoot on i see a law enforcement training there um you know and I, so i get to i get to spend a lot of time watching not i'm not coaching them but but like a coach and having having coached in the past uh athletes you know saying oh wow you know what that that raises a good question for me that then i could apply it to testing like uh you know, if I hold the rifle this way, or if I, if I do this to it or, or, um, or with the suppressors, you know, I've shot suppressed and unsuppressed a lot. Um, uh, you know, one of the people say, well, what, you know, what's the difference? And, and some of it is, is, um, kind of a subjective experience. Like, uh, you know, if you put a brake on and you shoot a rifle to me, the impulse is very fast. And when I put a suppressor on, the impulse kind of slows down, uh, but it lengthens it a little bit. And and they say, well, well, so what's the difference? Well, it's hard to explain, but you'll feel the rifle shoot differently. It's yeah. not more or less. Uh, and then having the weight on the barrel will affect the size of the group that you could get potentially. But the only way you'll know that is if you shoot it on paper. And and then. Um, there's a, a big, big shop here close to my house uh, called Mile High Shooting Accessories, and they build a lot of the Accuracy International rifles for, for uh, law enforcement departments. And they certify the builds that they make by shooting a group suppressed and a group unsuppressed, so they could also show the offset. Yep. And, and so I, I get to see tons of comparative group sizes based on uh, having it suppressed and so, you know, some barrels, they're the same, some barrels have less shift. And, and I think that, that experiencing that and seeing it firsthand, uh, helps kind of, uh, take away some of those, uh, questions, but, but, um, that I think what people tend to ask more is how, do, how do I shoot better? And, and that question is pretty open-ended too, which, which led to the craft, uh, the craft, system or the craft data targets that that i put out a year ago was trying to get to the bottom of um you know the more generic question of if i go to a match or if i have an objective i need to shoot something um you know can i do it mm -hmm. and and that's the generic question that you see online is well i want to do something will this work and then the ten thousand answers of maybe right yeah, <laughs> and but yeah yeah and I, and and i, I think i, I, I think I what think was that that... yeah i think what was awesome about the craft system and, and still is is you know everyone loves to compare these tiny little groups that they've shot with their rifle on a bench with heavy bags 
borderline free basically shooting and this is talking more the the precision rifle world but it translates to a lot of things but i mean essentially shoot setting their rigs up as a bench rest gun and trying to remove themselves from it as well which is a it's a good test a mechanical test of your your system and the shooting and everything like that but it misses a key element which is of course ourselves because we get ourselves around that gun get it into any position other than the bench and things change and and people have these issues where they've got this gun that shoots rounds on top of each other, but they're like, well, now I'm shooting off a wobbly barricade and I'm breathing heavy and everything. Why doesn't my gun shoot the same? And it's like, well, your measure is not overly relevant to your real world use. You've kind of isolated something and there's no that translation. So when I saw the craft come through, as a, as a lot of guys I'm sure did, they're like, oh yeah, he's he's going to force us to actually shoot positional and give us a. And it, to me, it gives you a figure that is a lot more true and representative of the firearm system, including yourself, the shooter. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's true, and it's nothing new. It's 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 kind of revisiting what people have been doing for a long time in other other uh, disciplines in shooting, but it's kind of saying that. Um, a, a lot of shooters, whether the, whether it's because they're new or they kind of lost track of what they're trying to do, have forgotten that that we have a big influence on the system, mm-hmm. and 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 that our ability and knowledge of that needs to be studied and looked at from a practical standpoint, not just a mechanical standpoint. So so like what you mentioned, if somebody buys a gun and they say, well, you know this this shoots. Um, you know, right. It could stack bullets one on top of the other. And, and I think, wow, that's a great system, but um, unless you plan on shooting it from that position for the life of the rifle, it, it doesn't say much other than, you know, great. You've got, you've got a nice rifle. Yeah. Um, And, and, and so, but, but there are a lot of nice rifles and, and, and that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, I think it'd be easy to kind of go off on tangents, but but uh, you know, a nice a nice shooting rifle at at some point, um, you know, price tags get attached to them and 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 name recognition, and, and it's like wow, all of a sudden there's there's no connection to what what makes something nice. You know, it, it has, mm-hmm. doesn't really have anything to do with the price or the parts on it, um, as much as uh, just this big kind of uh you know it, it it's like uh there's an industry that's developed around competition shooting and and um you know it's almost like a self-licking ice cream cone and that like um it doesn't we don't we don't get outside of that community and within the community there's people that build all the parts and and, and you know say okay well i built this cool bag or i built this cool plate let's make a competition stage that needs it yeah. So then they do the stage and anybody that doesn't have the plate buys the plate. And then um, now everybody, you know, does the same on that stage. So they come up with a stage that needs another piece. So they build a stage that works for that piece. And and all of a sudden you forget that, um, you know, why we got into it in the first place wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't to chase all these weird parts. It's to figure out how to manipulate the rifle to, um, to, to hit what we want. And also, uh, you know, uh, you know, not, not to forget that, that 
practically speaking, um, they don't need to perform that as 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 well as we think they do to to achieve to achieve the objectives that we're going after. And what I mean by that is that I've measured thousands of shooters um, that that they can log in targets on the craft uh, data project, but also people send me their their targets. Now the security measures on the website are set up such that I can't really link the targets to the shooter. It's, okay. it's scrambled. Um, and, and, uh, you know, that was done on purpose for security so that people can't get in and hack it and find out, you know, who, who shot what target. But when somebody sends me a picture of their target and a lot of good shooters say, Hey, how's this compare? And, and, and so I put those aside because I tell them like, well, I can't really compare it to anything but averages. Mm. Um, you know, I can see targets, but I can't tell whose they are. So, you know, I, I put them aside and I think, okay, I'll put them in a folder and, and the more I get, but, but, um, you know, at least a dozen, uh, national PRS winners have, have shared their targets with me. And, and I, and I could say, uh, you know, that, that might not be a huge sample size, but, but let's say a dozen shooters that have got a first place, uh, they're, they're performing at about, um, 1.5, 1.6 MOA. Uh, for 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 four positions, you know, not stressed. Just you know, put a bag on a standing prop, put a bag on a kneeling, put a bag on a seated or low kneeling or something, and then put a bag down prone. And and over those twelve shots, what I'm seeing is about a 1.5, 1.6 MOA uh, pattern. And and um, so what what that tells me is that you know if you could shoot. 1.5 MOA, then you're, you're shooting well enough to win a PRS so that there's other skills involved, you know, wind and, and consistency and, and, and having, uh, your ballistics, you're comfortable enough with your system overall that you can perform at that level. Um, and, and so the hit percentage is being in the low 90%, the target sizes obviously are probably a little bit larger than 1.5 MOA, uh, from, from, you know, the com combination of, of positions, not prone, they could, they'll probably shoot smaller. They'll be more comfortable sure. um, shooting a smaller target, but, but I, you know, I, I shoot better standing from a tripod than I do prone more consistently. So I think that just comes down to what, what you practice the most, but I, but mm -hmm. I can say for sure that, that if I gave shooters unknown positions um, and, and, and a variety of target sizes that, the, that those shooters are are largely shooting, you know, in the 1.5 MOA. So they don't, you know, the take home message there is you don't necessarily need a rifle that shoots a quarter of an inch. Um, you need to be able to to shoot <laughs> to be able to know, shoot on, under under two inches consistently. Yeah. And some people might roll their eyes at that, but um, once once you go through the craft, um, you know, I've got I've got the target here, and once you go through the craft. Uh, target and you realize that that it it doesn't discriminate necessarily between group size as much as um you know distance from your aim point yeah and and the consistency of being able to shoot uh relative to your aim point which is which is what matters and and you know if, if you if you get shooters that have been around for a long time that there's often the, the the definitions that you see the precision versus accuracy as, as definitions. And, and they'll say, well, that's just precision versus accuracy, but, uh, they go hand in hand. And, and when you aim at a aim point and you, and you produce 
you know, a five shot group that's one hole, but it's an inch off of your aim point. Um, that's a two MOA shot. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yes, uh, yeah. And I think so, that's that's what is important under what I like with the craft. So for people who are listening, who because um, we've kind of or I've assumed and we've skipped a few things. So the craft test is twelve shots, um, essentially going through the four positions, one shot each at each position, position, and then cycling that. I'm going to get my maths right. Three to four, yeah, three times. So um, shooting, kneeling, sitting, prone, shooting, kneeling, sitting, prone four times until you've got basically 12 impacts on the bit of paper. So the figure that you get being 1.5, 2 MOA, whatever it is, is basically representative of, of your ability to shoot that system pretty much independent of whatever position or setup you might find yourself in. So it's sort of a figure where if I'm taking a shot at that target, whether I'm told to do it prone or standing or off a boulder or whatever it is, I know that I'm within reason going to be able to shoot within that, that figure. So it removes this whole bench rest shooting element of it and gives you an actual figure that's, that's much more representative of the, the, the whole system themselves. And I, I think from, you know, it's almost split. You've got guys who are playing the game, which is the precision rifle game, where which, like you say, is partly chasing gear and equipment. And yeah, it's a feedback system. Like it's, it's like you say, you build stages based on the new equipment and then that feedback. But then there's other guys who are doing it to really hone their hunting skills. Well, that number is a hell of a lot more applicable for somebody who wants to know and get a gauge whether they can take that shot in a hunting situation because they can look at it and go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be to this level of accuracy. And, you know, we get into ethics and, and bits and pieces, you know, that's an ethical shot for me to take, or actually, you know what, that's beyond my capacity. Um, I was going to say one thing it is, though, is humbling, because it's always going to be bigger than that tiny Facebook group picture that you shoot and can put up and put your finger over the hole. It's always going to be bigger than that. And, and it's like the whole G7 versus G1 BC, you know, the G1 is always a bigger number. It's always going to look better. So we lean towards bigger is better or in the case of group, smaller is better. So I, I often, I, I wonder part of the, not the resistance, plenty of people have taken up, but I think a lot of people, there's that hesitancy to do your system, even though it's probably better information and more relevant information, because it means you're going to look like you're shooting bigger groups than you could just off a bench rest. But um yeah, it's just it's just redefining what our, our standard is, and it's a much more to me a relevant standard anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. It's certainly humbling, and the groups are much bigger um, on average, or at least the number that you, the craft number that you get back is much bigger when you enter it in, even if the group is smaller. But but um, it's very informative, and I, I've been talking about um, for hunters. You know, if you take if you take that your target at a hundred and you look at it with your reticle, you can make a bracket with your reticle that that fills up your group size. And I say like that that's your a hundred percent bracket, mm. and that bracket's independent of distance. So if you put up something that you want to shoot at, um, obviously you're going to need the the dope to to dial it in or hold. But if that target is bigger than your bracket, you're likely to hit it right with good and with, with, with your skill set now you need uh ballistic you, know, you need to know your dope and you need to make a good wind call but 
your hit chances now are a hundred percent. And we want to try to keep it by shooting at targets that, that are, um, with it, that, that are bigger than, than your shooter bracket Mm. for, in terms of like ethical shooting. Um, and, 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 and that kind of opens people's eyes like, Oh man, I didn't think about it that way. Uh, you know, because an animal might look huge through your, through your reticle, but, but the kill zone, um, may or may not be the right size for that bracket. And then I say, okay, so before we shoot, let's think about this. Uh, you know, if it's smaller than your hundred percent hit zone, there's a chance if you shoot that you're not going to hit it where you need to, you know, what, what could you do to increase that? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I could get closer. Okay, cool. Like, <laughs> let's get closer <laughs> or, you know, or, or I could find a position where that positional bracket is better. Okay. You know, that's another option, but if that's not an option, let's get closer or not shoot and, and we'll find another opportunity, but there are consequences to missing. And, and so it teaches you a lot in terms of, um, you know, what, what can you actually hit that your, your rifle and its shooting ability is going to mislead you on, right? Somebody yeah. you say, okay, well, we're going to put one MOA targets to a thousand. And they say, oh, well, that's easy because my rifle shoots a quarter of an MOA. <laughs> okay. And yep. and then they come off, you know, shooter, I have you for zero impacts. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what happened? My well, gun must be you know, broken. <laughs> right, right. And then, uh, well, I shot, and, and, then, and then you look at the average data that comes off of these shooters of thousands of targets and the average MOA uh, is four. So uh, the average shooter is, is a four MOA shooter if you combine four positions. And, and that, I think that's really informative because, um, you know, it's not the gear, right? It's, it, I, I think it would be hard to find any equipment that shot four MOA, right? That would be ridiculous. Um, so if, 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 if most gear shoots better than four MOA, what are people doing to open up that group? And, and, uh, so, so then kind of applying a little bit of, um, uh, kind of conscious training to bring in, in those, that group size, people are doing it relatively quickly. Yeah. And what, what I'm seeing is I'm getting a lot of feedback from people who were kind of mid pack shooters a year ago who've now started to get trophies at two day matches by dedicating a few months and a few months sounds like a lot, but you know, these days like shit, it, it, you know, would you be willing to dedicate three or four months of dry firing and then live firing on paper? If you could go from getting 30th place at a two day PRS to, you know, top three. Yeah. And, and I think most people would say yes, but, but what we're seeing is that, um, most people don't do that, but the ones that do are are proving that it's possible to to get a trophy from changing their mindset of wow, my rifle shoots really good to I need to learn how to shoot better and more consistently. And once you know that you can shoot well from any position, that's not your concern anymore, right? Now all you need to do is focus on your shot process and have your speed enough so that you don't time out uh, and you take good shots. And, and, uh, you know, we're starting to see that with shooters 
sending feedback about, um, you know, I went from 30th place to second place, or mm. I just had a guy send me a message about a PRS that he got first place in and his next best performance was in the upper twenties a year ago. And he said, all he did was shoot the paper over the winter and then tuned it up and then went out and, and did this match. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, it gives yeah. you it gives you a methodology that once you've got that test in place and you've got your baseline, um, then you can start changing things, generally one thing at a time. Don't change everything about your way you're shooting because there's going to be too many variables, but one thing at a time and then retest. And one thing at a time mm-hmm. and retest. And you very quickly, because you've now got that feedback loop, you're not just going to the range and shooting out a couple of boxes of ammo and trying to get a smaller group because you know, that's what a lot of people seem to do at a range. They go to a range, lie down in there prone, fully supported, try and shoot the smallest group, but that you don't necessarily develop as a shooter doing that, whereas the test, you do that and go, right, we need to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to focus on this thing, be it the trigger press or the the, the rifle to shoulder connection or my position or whatever it is, one thing, and then see if it improves. Oh, it improves. Okay, we refine, we refine, and it gives you just a good little feedback loop rather than this aimless not aimless it's still fun. hey some people just enjoy going shooting and making loud noises fine if you want to that's all good but for us who don't have necessarily the the time to be able to just sit there and just shoot and shoot and shoot or actually want to get a bit more out of it yeah it provides a fantastic methodology i think is the is the the key to it yeah and then if you take you know i think the the trick is you say okay well you might have one or two of the positions down, but, but the other one or two or, or different heights or something like that tends to throw you for a loop. So then you, you start to dissect that some more. And so like on the site, the site's free, you get on and you can log your, your data. And some people complain that the dots are too big because they want to be able to split hairs in the thousandths of an inch of their group <laughs> size. I don't, you know, I don't, the reason they're big is because I don't think it matters that much. When we're talking about, you know, we're talking about inches, not fractions of an inch that are going to make a big difference, but also, um, but people can log them over time. And so you could see if your training is actually producing results over time, which, which they should. And, and so, but there is a subscription element that we try to take that data and suggest, wow, you know, you're shooting to the left. Well, here's a few things that shooters do that causes those shots to go to the left, try and so then, then we try to isolate that stuff and, and say, uh, you know, here's some advice yeah. that might work. And, and uh, you know, shots to the left, sometimes they're, you know, if, 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 if people like to get sideways on their rifle um, and if, if the rifle slips on their shoulder or their clavicle, depending on where they put the, the buttstock of the rifle, if you're bladed off to the right, you're going to, it's going to slip a little bit and you're going to get some deviation to the left and it it only takes a fraction of an inch to have that bullet at a hundred yards go you know significantly to the left and if you push too hard uh you know it could go the other way or or if their hands on one side of the rifle the rifle jump off away from that point of contact and so we're, we're we're trying to use the same methodology to um isolate causes for bullets to go you know up down left mm-hmm. right and then when they enter those targets the computer's able to say oh i noticed that um you know three of the 12 shots are 
in this quadrant, and that tends to be from these three or four things. Now, when you go next time, be mindful not to do one of those elements and see if yeah. the shot comes back towards center. And so then, then we and and you could do that on your own, uh, but but that's where the subscription stuff comes in. Or it says, um, you know, based on your targetry, here's the predicted hit percentage that we would expect to see on targets of a certain size. Or, or what we're we're adding right now for hunters is ethical hunting ranges. Yeah. You know, say, say if you shoot three MOA and you're shooting at a deer, here's a, you know, you could shoot to this distance ethically, um, maximum, maximum ethical distance. And so, um, and, yeah. and, and so, um, yeah. And it, it's, I mean, to, to something I was just, just to refer back to something you're saying before is those difference in positions. It's something I've noticed because I'm basically locked at home at the moment. It's been mainly dry fire here. Um, and it was something I, because of dry fire and getting focused on body position, I've realized that prone is one thing, but as soon as I get up onto a tripod and see everything up nice and square, and then you reach forward to grab the side of the tripod, well, instinctively, you also twist a bit. So now you've exactly that, that blading off. So it's like, well, hang on a moment, I've just shifted. I've, I, if I didn't think about it, I'd still feel I was equally square, but I'm not. I've actually just pushed pushed myself around. So it's like, hang on, I need to move my butt and everything to get. So I'm still square and can, if I want to hold the tripod, I'm not now blading or twisting out. And if, if you don't have some, it'd be very easy to just do that and shoot it and not notice these little things, but it's just slowing things down and going, okay, and yeah, exactly that. I'm left-handed, so it'd be off to the right logically, but it'd be the same thing. It'll be that little shift, and it, it's until you isolate those things that you you don't necessarily notice it. Um, and yeah, that yeah. that was one of my questions for you, which answers it with the subscription. Is yeah, just that that feedback then and that coaching you can then get and go, okay, we can we've we've we can see that you've basically got a. I don't know if I'd call it a zero offset, but it is an offset in that position. Here's here's things that you can do to fix it. So mm-hmm. one one question I was going to ask: Have you? So you're basically of a belief that most things in those offsets can be corrected through technique. It's not. I, I saw in the early days. I think Frank, when he first did your test, decided to game it like Frank does, and figured the zero offset for all of those different positions and just corrected and, and shot for them, which. Is, is valid and is one way around it but I, uh, yeah you're you're finding through the you're analyzing the results and guys coming in that it's actually something that can also be corrected just by sorting out your position and fundamentals oh for sure i yeah. believe that 100 percent. and yeah. i shoot with frank a lot and he's awesome uh and and it's great to be able to bounce ideas and show it but you know if i if i always shoot you know an inch left kneeling but i'm working on it I might be able to say like, well, because I shoot left, you know, this shot, I'm going to hedge my bets towards my tendency that, you know, that that's saying, you know, knowing how you shoot right now, you know, that that's a, that's a cool strategy, but it's just a trick in the moment. It's not necessarily yeah. making you a better shooter. So um, there's certainly things that you could do now to hedge bets in your favor, but that's not going to be the same thing as, training for long-term um performance and and what i would expect from any shooter is that over time all of their positional shooting will come together into a small group that ideally you know will be the same size as as any other position and that takes a lot of work a lot of mindful work but if if you if you know some shooters when they shoot standing they'll get vertical displacement because they're not putting it in the same place 
on their yeah. shoulders being upright versus being down you can get inconsistent um anchoring of the buttstock yeah. and you could technically you could kind of hedge that in your favor but how do you know if you do it right well i guess there's no wrong or right but but let's say i, I you know three out of four shots kneeling go left and one out of those four goes center compared to my other group other, other shots um you know how do i know which one it was so so uh so now you add distance where where wind comes in and we can't train wind the same way but but you say okay well you just missed off the left edge was was it was it one of your left yeah. shots or was it your right shot so then you shoot you make that correction and you shoot off the right edge well now you know you could say well it's likely you had a left shot that went off the left and you corrected for that left shot and made a center shot. But now because of that correction you shot off the right, I want to be able to get feedback that's consistent with how I shoot. So now when I make wind calls, it's based off of my bracket. And if I, if I hold up on a target, you know, the, the traditional kind of explanation, at least the one that I've heard a lot is, you know, when you, when you shoot and you miss off of a side of a target and you see your impact, um, you know, let's say you missed right off the right edge of a target. Um, and somebody says, oh, man, it was it was a tenth off the right edge. Well, you're going to add a tenth plus half the width of the target. Hmm. So if the target's six tenths wide, some people will correct one tenth. Right. But yeah. but that'll just bring you to the edge of the target. Yeah. And, and so so so, uh, you know, so the the traditional thing would be to add, you know, go four tenths to the left, which is half the target width plus how much you were off the plate. That's going to put you right on the target. But that's assuming that you're putting every shot in the same mm. spot. And if you're, if your shooter bracket is bigger than the target and you miss right off that edge, it, it you know, your next shot doing the exact same thing might be an impact because, you know, you just statistically speaking, that bell curve is somewhere out there. Yep. And, and is it really there? I don't know. And so um, if the target's very small, you know, I, I don't know what the right answer is, but based on your knowledge of your shooting ability, plus being able to compare those brackets very quickly, you can increase your hip probability of a second round substantially and, and it, it takes a while to retrain that thought process mm. but i noticed that that uh for me anyway my hip percentage has increased um considering my shot bracket um and i'll take the middle of that you know if i can see it in advance and i'll i'll, I'll correct not for the plate as much as is trying to put that as like a bell curve move the bell curve over and okay. and uh, you know that, that's something that i'm still working on but it, it's definitely increased increased my my hip percentage but i think that it's worth thinking about like okay well you know if 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 you if you if you can't even shoot the size of the target uh you might not want to make that big of a correction until you get a yeah. shot or two off um because um it could just be that, you know, that's where the bullet went and you're shooting at something too small. Well, it's a similar concept in some ways to the guys who will try and zero a rifle by shooting around, adjusting, shooting around, adjusting, shooting around, adjusting. And then you say to them, well, can you just shoot three to five rounds and show me what your group size is? And then you kind of show them. It's like, well, at the moment, 
especially newer guys or guys who hunt and only shoot a box of ammo a year, it's like, well, you shoot two MOA groups and you're just moving that, you know, that area around the zero. So if you're just going to shoot and adjust, shoot and adjust, shoot and adjust, you're never going to find the zero because you just, you need to get that average and get an idea of what's going on there. And it, yeah. what what you've been doing reminds me in some ways in a, in a much more practical concept of, like I do for some companies who are doing pest control bits and pieces, I've done some um, uh, applied ballistics, uh, WES or weapon employment zone um, modeling. So we could again establish an ethical distance or a functional distance with that system, that shooter, that environment. But of course, actually you can account for sort of the, the system size in that as well, but that then just gives you an idea of your hit probability. And Colbor do it with the, I think they call it the error budget, I forget the term of it. But again, what you're doing is at that, but but with a very practical application without having to necessarily use computer modeling, you're just based on your actual shooting. So it's a lot more um, real world, I suppose. Yeah, but, but I think that's something that, um, I mean, it's nothing new and, and the weapon employment zone data and the computer modeling is amazing. I, I think that, that it's all kind of pointing to the same um, practical understanding of, uh, you know, we're, the media feeds us a perception and, and that perception isn't, isn't reality. Uh -huh. And you see the reality as soon as you go to a match uh, where you, where you're seeing, you know, high, uh, sample size shooting you know, and and you watch a shooter oh i lift miss left i missed right how come i didn't hit these or wow I, and and then you say then you think about it practically well I, you know i don't know these shooters and i don't know uh, anything about it but based on the data that i've seen most shooters uh statistically speaking are going to miss these targets no matter how good their wind call is because they shoot groups bigger than the size of the targets. So yep. I don't really want to base my, um, I don't, I, I'm not going to make a wind call based off of a shooter. I don't know because chances are the, their expectations are much different than mine. Uh -huh. So, so hey, I stopped watching other shooters in terms of trying to get data from them, but then watching what they do and how they respond to it, it's pretty clear that, uh, people expect their rifles to perform in a match the way that um, they performed when they were load developing mm -hmm. on a bench and, and that there's a disconnect there. And then um, arguing about calibers, you know, I think if you could, if you could show people weapon employment zones and how as velocity decreases, those group size, uh, you know, open up laterally with wind, but also vertically um, in a way that, that you say, well, um, you know, there's ideal ranges and zones for different calibers, yeah. bullet weights, velocities that, um, is probably more important than, you know, how much recoil do they actually have uh -huh. and, 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 and other, other stuff like, Oh, well, what reticle are you shooting? Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that that matters as much as, as, you know, the fact that you're shooting something that, 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 uh, you know, isn't practical to shoot here or, or, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, before we, I think we need to, I think there's probably a logical sequence of question and answer yeah. out there. Uh, and, and that logical sequence kind of gets interrupted by social media a little bit. Um, well, well and, I, 
I often warn people about building their rig or designing everything about the extreme of a, a usage case. So a lot of guys want to build their long range or long range rigs based on that one kilometer. I'm a metric lander, one kilometer shot. So they're they're doing all the ballistic analysis and and comparing different projectiles and velocities and ES or SD spreads at one kilometer. And then you start talking to them and going, okay, well, what's the, what's the competition? What's the usage for it? Okay, you do realize your average distance for that is five or 600 meters at that competition. So why are you optimizing a 1K rig where what you're actually going to be shooting is mostly this? You might have a stage rate target that's out there, but you've now, you know, a rig designed for that, that not quite ELR, but that that sort of distance is different to what you do that. And I, when I built my or my main competition rig, if people ask, I'm like, yeah, I'm optimizing it for six or seven hundred meters. I'm not designing it for a one kilometer plus gun. Yes, it'll shoot that, and yes, it'll do it. But all everything I'm focusing on is for where for that particular rifle is. That's on average in the North Island of New Zealand at the events we shoot at. That is what we're we're often shooting at, and it's different from that that monster rig I would build if most of the shots were over a, a kilometre. It'd be very different. But I wouldn't want to be carrying that around the hills and shooting it because of weight and other bits and pieces. And, you know, so uh, the challenge is, is we get into the minutiae of this and forget what our intention, the initial intent or what the actual usage is of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, either super heavy rigs, super light rigs or stuff that's just not, you know, and if, if you keep the intent in the forefront of your mind, then a lot of the other answers come clearer. But if you don't have that, yeah, you just kind of follow whatever the latest trend is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. But then who do you, you know, listening, then you run into the trouble of, well, who, who has a practical grasp of that? Because yep. there's always the person that that came out of the military that says, "Well, my 308 works works perfect," and and it's like, "Well, it, it totally totally does." But competitively speaking, you know, the weapon employment zone of that doesn't yeah doesn't work the way that you think it does. Or there's somebody that I mean, you could shoot a 22. I've seen on social media. There's plenty of pictures now of people that shoot their 22s to a thousand. <laughs> right uh you know i mean they're, they're pretty big plates but but just because you can doesn't mean that it's going to work the way you want it um, well uh, i i saw something this morning um just as i was sort of getting ready for this and it was an article where i think um uh wooden uh john wooden i think has built a 223 that has and the, the term or the, the phrase was something along, along the lines is ballistically the same as the 308s in his competition, I'm like, hang on, a 223 is not the same as a 308 ballistically. I'm like, that, that doesn't quite make sense, but he's winning comps with it. And we all know that, you know, you people win comps with lower caliber guns, but then you read, kind of clicked into that article and read some details and realized they were talking about Palmer. And in Palmer, the 308s are limited to a 156 grain um, projectile. So suddenly you're comparing a 223 to a 308 that's shooting a maximum of 156 grain. You're like, oh, okay, now it makes more sense that that could be closer ballistically because of what he's done. So it's very easy for people reading stuff, reading the headlines or reading the just the, the summary of an article to get the wrong idea and go, oh, okay, well now my, in this case, 223 is doing everything a 308 can. It's like, well, yeah, if we're talking a particular in a particular competition with a particular set of rules, then yes, in that case, they have managed to do that. Um, so again, it's it's that case of getting all the picture, which 
which in regards to who do you listen to and I think it comes back to that 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 answer of well the person or the thing you probably need to listen to most is your craft number because that's your real world testing of whatever principle or concept you've kind of read online um yeah have, have you heard of a gentleman uh thomas thlr based out of uh norway I think so. Yeah. Somebody uh, reached out to me and shared, I, I expressed interest in coming to do the Viking uh, sniper competition oh, yes. series yep. up yep. there. And um, there's a bunch of guys that, that stay in touch, particularly through, through Instagram and share uh, YouTube, YouTube links of, of everybody shooting out. And um, I think that's, that's where the name is familiar. Yep. So, I mean, one, he's worth checking out simply because the scenery and the, the cinematography in his shooting videos is beautiful. Shooting over the fjords and glaciers in Norway, it's like, well, how could that not be lovely, you know? Shooting, there's a, there's a, there's a as a diversion, there's a great video because he's got some training videos where there's a guy, they're basically shooting a rubber ducky in a glacial lake at about one kilometre. And it's funny because you hear this guy getting very, very frustrated that he's just missing left and right of this rubber ducky bobbing around water and he just can't hit the thing. And eventually Thomas points out quite rightly, he's like, you are just missing off the left or the right edge of a rubber ducky at a kilometer. Like go a bit easier on yourself because let's take this in context. You know, we've put this small target there. No, you're not hitting a target, but you're, you're just not, think about how big this is in the bigger picture of it. But um, the reason I ask as well is because he put something together years ago as a, as a proficiency or a practical test. And it's, uh, it's the same sort of concept. It's like for him, it's a, it's a distance test. And it's, it's sort of testing your ability basically to get behind the rifle and, and break a shot within a certain time frame on a certain size target at 500 meters. And it's a cold bore shot. It's very linked towards practical hunting side of things. But it's mm -hmm. a great test because it incorporates the shooter and their workflow and everything as well. And I think that, which I still do when I can on the target, but you need 500 meters for this, this test is the one downside of it. And a combination of your test is just this great one-two of practical testing and feedback. Um, mm -hmm. and the other thing I note, which I think is, is interesting and maybe the challenge for people sometimes is that on your on the, the, the craft website where you, you take the photos, upload them, you can record it. There's no leaderboard, you know, there's no shooter's name and what they're shooting. So for the hyper-competitive guys, there's no feedback for that. The, the competition is just with yourself and that, that self-improvement and the refining of yourself. And I like it because I'm at that point now, it's like, well, yeah, if I'm in a competition, I'm competing with other guys, but I can't necessarily affect their shooting or my placing against them apart from improving my shooting and my ability so it makes more sense to me to just not compete with myself but sort of just focus on what I'm doing be less worried about what they're doing and comparing myself um, and just trying to improve that way and it's one thing I like about the site is that yeah, there isn't this leaderboard where I instantly look at these top tier competitors and go, oh, well, they're shooting better than me. And, you know, it's just like, right, no, I'm just focusing on what I'm doing and improving what I can do. And with the faith that the, the more I do that, that I will just go up those, if I choose to do competition, go up those rankings because I'm just becoming a better shooter for it. Yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit about the leaderboard at first, but but really quickly just came to the conclusion that first of all, 
um, you know, anybody could cheat. And second of all, like how somebody else shoots really makes no difference to, to the outcome. And if you can focus on first your fundamentals, uh, and, and mo more people have access to a hundred, um, now, I don't care if it's 100 meters or 100 yards because it, you're measuring essentially your fundamentals. Yeah. Um, whatever you do, even if somebody said, well, I never shoot seated, so take seated out and add four shots um, to the other positions. That's great because you're, you're comparing it to yourself and you have to have good fundamentals before you can expect to hit stuff at distance. But we all play a game where uh, there are, there are more skills, uh, you know, like Thomas points out that, that are going to matter, but they won't matter until your fundamentals are good. So take the time to develop the good fundamentals. Now let's take it out to distance. And, 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 and once you can reliably say, you know, I can hit that target, um, that relative size target hundred percent of the time. Now I can learn when, but, but if you're shooting at something like a rubber ducky and the shooter's getting upset because they're missing left and right and they're blaming the wind, then you point out that, 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 the, you know, that, that is you yeah. know, a fraction, a fraction yeah. of a, a fraction of an MOA, you know, they're shooting at a, a, a one, one hundredth mil yeah. target and, and, and that the maximum ability of their, their round might be two tenths of a mil or something like that, 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 Oh, it's not your wind calls. Um, but, but until then, you know, it gets frustrating and, and I, I could see that, but, but, but the practical side of, of the craft is just to say, you need to have consistent, reliable fundamentals before you can start taking this round out, or you have no idea what you're missing. Hmm. You could blame it on anything, but, but, um, without a solid understanding of your capabilities fundamentally, then everything else is just a wild, wild guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, and we can't do that, right? Cause we're responsible no. for the rounds that we shoot. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully all going well and I get out of lockdown here in Auckland within the next year, the plan is, um, I've got a team shoot coming up. Um, actually my first team shoot in a couple of months and we need to get out and sort a couple of because as is the way for a lot of people it's like team shoot let's change all of our equipment and before getting ready for the shoot but what I'm going to do is run a series of articles for me I get asked a lot of real basic stuff of getting ready for my first competition it's not my first competition but I'm going to write a series of articles kind of getting ready for that and part of what I'm going to do is incorporate the craft targets and the test along the way and see if we can refine that as as well so um like I, I discussed with you process will be or get some of those down and get them up and load them into the website and show people how they can use those for themselves you know just let's let's just start doing some of these and then um i don't know i guess report back to you in a little bit with some some results basically and you know i'm prepared and i i acknowledge it's going to be probably quite humbling for myself because yeah, I mean, I know my I've got guns that shoot pretty damn small, but that's not meaning I shoot that small. And especially since I haven't shot anything for near a month now, apart from the dry fire, I'm picking some of those positions are going to be a little bit wobbly for me. So, but that's right. Yeah, but it, it helps. I mean, some of these guys that that have just started winning this year after coming out of their quarantines or or longer winters if they live up north, 
Mm -hmm. They said they dry fired the craft drill and just going through those motions of setting up your tripod, you know, throwing a bag on it and holding it and standing kneeling seated prone, just, uh, you know, the repetition of getting on a prop and, and trying to minimize the vibration, uh, helps quite a bit. I think that the trigger, I just got a trigger cam, so I haven't been able to play around with it a ton, but you you see differences in people's ability to control the stability of their reticle. And I think that that's a, um, something that, that, that the dry fire in those alternate positions, yeah. you know, just build and break and make sure that, that the red, and I'll, I'm going to try to put out some, uh, some videos with, with my trigger cam, but Phil Vallejo puts, puts a lot out with his mm-hmm. and people always comment that, you know, his reticle, is stable on the target. And I think (laughs) like, yeah, it should be right. Like figure out what you can do so that the reticle is stable on the target, not don't try to time it, make, make it stop and break that shot. And then Jacob Bynum has some good videos of dry fire with a trigger cam where, you know, just those microscopic vibrations of Mm. the reticle can be eliminated. And, and, and that's, I tried some of it. I, I got frustrated thinking, God, this is maddening, but, <laughs> but those good man, but that pays huge dividends too. Um, so I'm coaching, uh, uh, so there's two guys that are kind of new and they're doing some team matches and, um, I was coaching them and I'm trying to get them to do craft drills and understanding their tendencies so that here, here, a lot of the team matches are, um, they're not fixed positions as much as fixed zones. So, so you could say, um, you know, I, this is my best position. I'm going to try to find a, a you know, if I shoot a way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Find, find a way to do it and then be comfortable setting up, breaking, and then moving your stuff and getting that efficiency plays into it also. And, and uh, man, I, I love that. Just thinking about how to, break down a stage or break down a shot into the elements that you can control and then knowing your ability Mm. that 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 gives you so much more room to play and um and and it gives you an idea of how to fix all of the little errors rather than just saying man i got my butt kicked i'm not sure what happened yeah you kind of go into it with with that knowledge of of, uh, i know exactly what to do well, the the thing is as well. I was going to say with the the with your test, the the craft um, test is it's not only going to result in some good data for you, but it's basically also a good practice drill because you are, like you say, basically breaking position and rebuilding position every time you change those positions. And it's something mm-hmm. I'll say to guys who maybe can go down to their local range, which is 100 meters, and everyone shoots pro. And I'm like, well, look, at a bare minimum, will you please start? shooting once you know your gun is zeroed and you just want to shoot groups well shoot a target stand up shake yourself off get behind your rifle again shoot a target stand up shake yourself off and at least break and rebuild position between that because at least now you're actually practicing something in there and also for them because it's probably unsaid but i'm aware of it for them to do that, it also looks pretty um, innocuous. You're just kind of standing up and doing the thing, but you're breaking position. You don't need to kind of stand up, do three burpees and some star jumps, and then get behind your rifle and have everyone else, all the other hunters on the shooting line, looking at you going, what is this you know, tactical Timmy up here doing? Which I is probably an unsaid thing that I think some hunters getting into this sometimes look at and go, what are these guys up to? 
So I don't I don't care at my this this point anyway. I'll do some pretty weird looking stuff on the range. But yeah, breaking position, rebuilding, you're kind of developing, not yeah, getting into those positions, checking your natural point of aim and all these other things we need to be doing. And you don't you don't do that if you just lie there behind the rifle and change nothing between each shot. Um sure you might get a smaller group out of the result of it, but again, it's not it's not real world practical application. Yeah, yeah, you're you're misleading yourself. And yeah. I think that, that that has to stop, right? You you can't go for the best possible you know fraction of a chance that you could do this you need to know like i you know the, the consistency and the kind of law of averages is is where i think you should be you know you can't wait say wake up one day and think wow i'm just going to be great today um you know it's more of an average of day-to-day you know and, and i think that average of day-to-day it's maybe that's my new tagline working to be a better average shooter yeah, yeah. I have a, a friend. Uh, I have a friend here, Justin, who just put out a shirt, and it's um, it's uh, the mid pack mafia, and then this yes. the tagline is, is second to some, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, yeah. but 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 going back to what you're saying, uh, one thing that I think um, helped me a lot in doing all this because we do have a stress number, but but I don't I don't push that as much. Yeah. Uh, it and and it's mostly just it's not so much to it's it's mostly to to show you how you're being inefficient but probably the best way to figure out what you're doing that you could eliminate and not change anything except for speed is just to film yourself go through the four positions mm-hmm. and not try to rush but you know say you know let's say it's standing kneeling seated prone is is one stage and don't rush at all but have somebody hold their camera and or phone and film you and say, okay, I'm going to start standing. All right. I set it up, shoot, and then go to kneeling, go to seated, go to prone, and then watch that video. And, and if you could speed it up or, or even I, I sped it up and reversed it. And, and I thought, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like all of this unnecessary movement and all of this weird fiddling. And I thought, wow, if I take that stuff out, my time's going to get cut in half. So I figured out how to do that. And then all of a yeah. sudden, you know, it, my groups didn't change at first, but the time I was able to get through it did by just removing unnecessary movements. Yes. And then you, yeah. then you start to realize like, okay, well, in doing that, you know, how can I optimize my position? And then when you watch good shooters, you think, wow, they've cut out all that unnecessary movement. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they're moving slow because they are, but they're not fiddling with stuff. Yeah, they just put the rifle down, get behind it. They know they're in a good position. Close the bolt, shoot, mm. and and that video you know, it takes a minute. Yeah, and you watch that over and over again. You think, well, oh my gosh, I need to change this and this and this and this and this. And in in changing some of that, it takes out some of the habits that we have that cause bad positions. Anyway, um, I think that optimizing movement a lot of times optimizes your body position for a good shot. Um, I think there's a lot of easy gains at a real base level to be made just by yeah, observing and removing the dawdling between different positions. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that you'll watch people will shoot because moving from one point to another and it's not speeding up the shooting. It's just speeding up the process, getting ready 
to go back into that shooting mode again. You know, it's those trends. We used to do it with um, uh, IPSC pistol shooting. They're like, we're not, we don't want you to start by just trying to rush your shots because all that's going to do is make you shoot worse and get out of the, the you know, the zone. Um, but why don't you just, instead of walking from position A to position B, why don't you shuffle a little bit quicker? <laughs> because <laughs> it's a very simple logical way to actually speed up and, and not a full-on sprint of it you get there eventually but yeah just moving from position a to position b like you say removing the the, the unneeded stuff in the middle like looking over at your teammate and checking how the last shot was and getting a nod that everything's going and just getting into position doing what you need to do and it's, it seems to be a very simple way of of just yeah intent and focusing and and like you say that with that often that intent just then gets you in the zone and then helps with the actual shooting as well. But yeah, it's, it's not always a case of shooting faster. It's a case of getting ready to shoot faster, which, you know, it's, it's a difference between slowly as maybe we're not as fit as we used to be or as, as stretchy as we used to be taking a little while to get into that position, say prone versus dropping down basically into a burpee or a push up and getting behind the rifle real quick and then having that little bit longer to actually, you know, get into a proper position, you know, and that, so that's, that's my one secret is, is decent knee pads in the pants, I think is, is probably one of the secrets as well, because I don't have to think too hard about dropping down on a hard surface. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have a lot of cactus here, so I've gotten pretty cautious about flopping down without looking. <laughs> We're on farms, so we generally just like have cow shit basically that's that's probably one of the biggest threats we have in a lot of the field shoots so it's, <laughs> it's entertaining at the end of the, at the end of a shoot you can see everyone's kind of just been like sliding and running and there's some pretty nasty stains or some trousers and elbows and stuff floating around <laughs> nice so yeah so Man, I... so yeah um I, i'm aware of your time you need to head off and, and and probably go get ready to get for the kids but like i say the plan from here for me is once i can is get out shoot some of these these targets get them loaded up and um loaded up and then probably check in with you and and depending on lockdown probably a, a month or a couple of months for another check-in and report back how i've gone and how i've um found it and um yeah i don't know pick your brain for more more practical tips and ways to improve i guess Awesome. Yeah. We're soon, I have a positional isolation target. Uh, so a lot of folks have said, you know, I, I want to separate standing, kneeling, seated prone. And, and up until people started saying that, I just remembered like, oh, that was my kneeling shot or I'd mark it somehow, but we're going to add colors so that you could mark the, okay. the positional shots with, with colored markers to separate that stuff. But, um, I think, uh, you know, I, I think just being mindful of it is really the secret. And once people start doing it, the improvements happen very quickly. So once, you know, if you go and, you know, you don't have a, a flattering first couple targets and, and you spend your time thinking about it, I think that the, the learning curve for everybody is very, very steep because, um, because you know that there's simple fixes that are going to take that four mm. to a two that two to a 1.8 and that 1.8 towards the one you know it, it happens kind of uh exponentially so it, it doesn't you know but 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 at first if it starts off big there's very simple fixes um that that bring it in bring it in bring it in so i think that very quickly people could get towards the two and then the two to the one and a half 
um, happens a little bit slower mm-hmm. because those are the the very subtle mechanics. You know, it's like it's easy for a carbine. I've been shooting a lot of carbine. It's easy for you know the big swings in carbine mechanics to be, you know, hips and and how it is in your shoulder. But those subtle shifts, you know, that's elbow. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and so those subtle shifts, they come a little bit harder because they're a little bit harder to replicate those microscopic, um, influences that may cause a centimeter shift left and right. That's going to be harder to get to the bottom of is the, wow, I shot two inches off. Um, and, and, and that stuff, uh, uh, so you know, that, that, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't take a heck of a lot and it saves a lot of ammo because rather than shooting big plates all the time, um, or tiny groups prone, all of a sudden you're, you're invested in each shot. So you take a shot and if it goes left, you think, okay, what I do, what was I doing to make it go left? And how do I, you know, can I change something and make it go right where it needs to? And they shoot again. Okay. What was it? And, and, uh, when I go to the range range to, to train or when, when, when people say, well, what do you do when you go? I just set my phone up and I, I film everything. So if I make a shot that looks bad you know, I'll go back and review the footage, like where, you know, where was my face and where was my shoulder and hips and what was I doing that could have potentially don't always catch it, but yeah. you know, I might go to the range and shoot uh, 20 rounds now and make it, make improvement with those 20 rounds where before I might take 40 rounds and have no idea what happened. Like, just be like, well, today was pretty good, or today sucked. And, you know, I just shot 40 or 50 rounds, or I shoot big targets at a distance. I, well, I hit all my targets, but I, well, I don't know if I'm data. doing better or not. Yeah. Right, right. Well, it, it's interesting. Like, when I first started doing this podcast, like, I guess years ago, I, I interviewed um, Regina. And even then, she was talking about starting to read um, sports coaching books and mental um, modeling books and stuff from outside the shooting industry. And it's, it's, I'm sure it's always been there. It has always been there, especially probably, I'm sure people shooting, say, Commonwealth or Olympic shooting, it's always been there. But now for the, the precision practical rifle, you can see more of it coming in. The mindfulness thing has been fantastic. You can see if what Kaylin and Phil done, I mean, he just kind of just, decided to just pull the the curtains right open and just literally put mindfulness behind the rifle and just was very clear as to what what was needed to be added and now yourself bringing in that 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 sports coaching background and kind of continuing it as well and providing that feedback loop which i think is the important bit that that feedback loop for our improvement and and tracking our progress um but yeah intent um is is an important one and for me as well, just talking about um, without going through too much ammo, because like I think stateside as well, we've got a bit of a um, projectile and powder shortage down here in, in New Zealand. So everyone's counting oh, yeah. their projectiles. So realistically, I'll probably do a lot of the tests and a lot of the, the practice with the 22 and then maybe run some of it, uh, you know, the, the and I hate the idea of it, but the practice load versus the, the actual competition load for my gun with the mm-hmm. cheaper projectiles I've got bulk of. Um, but with the understanding that's still going to translate over to the, the actual main gun, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I'll still do a test at least with the main gun before I head out, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I think economically everybody's impacted by the by the issues that have come up the last year. I think, yep. you know, the again, I just went to buy 223, uh, to do some of this gas gun stuff and 
it's incredibly because it's probably four times the price that <laughs> three or four times the price that it yeah. was. Like, wow, yeah. that's crazy. Um, yeah, well, I think I, the I, I point often, two is. That's the way. I often, I often think if you guys are having uh, fun and games, getting getting supplies and stuff, where a lot of it's still manufactured and made, there's there's um, down on the other side of the world, there's not a whole lot of hope for us. We. <laughs> But I think some good. of the components come from you guys, right? The powder and Australia. We, we... So some of the powder, and I'm not sure. I think it's ADI. I think is manufactured. They do some powder there, which some of it is the Hodgson is rebranded ADI, I believe. Um, but I understand from an economics standpoint, if there's a massive country trying to get as much stuff as they can, there's a priority. And things they just simply is, which is that's it's understandable. But yeah, the 22 ammo is still around. Um, one thing amazed me recently: CCI standard, which has always been the mainstay CCI ammo, probably the world over, um, is hard to find in, in New Zealand at the moment. You go to your local gun store, CCI oh. standard is not there, and we never had the 22 shortage like I think you guys did uh, a few years ago, where guys were hoarding anything they could find. We never had it quite like that but it was interesting when i went in to go get a a couple of bricks of standard and they're like nah none here it's like oh okay okay that's 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 noted so but yeah a lot of the importers at the moment you're kind of scratching around trying to find any six five or six mil projectiles um what it is interesting as well i've talked to the guys about this recently what i think what it also means though which is good is people are now experimenting and trying maybe projectile weights they normally wouldn't have or powder powder types or brands they wouldn't have necessarily thought because they've always had their pet load and just done that and done that and done that. And it's fine. You don't need to change something that isn't broken. But I'd say at the moment, I have noticed on the stores, all the heavy projectiles were the first to go. And now on 6mm, 6.5, it is the lighter projectiles that you're still seeing. So I think out the other end of it, we'll probably see some people shooting some lighter projectiles where traditionally they might have been trying to feed the heaviest thing they could through the guns. Hmm. Um, and and back to where yeah, we started, sense. back to where we started, what's interesting is then you run the figures in your ballistic calculator and everyone's panicking that, you know, at a K or whatever it is, I'm going to have all these bigger wind holes. It's like, yeah, if you mean by bigger, you mean like 0.1 mil. <laughs> yeah. Right, <laughs> right, right. I wish what's I was like- that good at wind calls. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's lost them in noise. And and then with this craft number, you're like, well, what's your craft number? How's that compared to that point one difference between your projectile choice? Is it mm-hmm. are you spending your time wisely into what you're trying to improve? But you know, mm-hmm. that's human nature. If we can if we can try and um, use our intelligence to work ourselves around a, a problem, we'd like to do that probably more than just going out and doing the practice and the training sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I have noticed with the 22 shooters, I, I told them at first to do it at 50 yards. Yeah. Uh, same thing with, uh, you know, or, or you could do 50 meters. The um, And same with carbine. But there's a big difference I've seen with, with how 22 shooters are grouping. And so, you know, as they get it to a certain, to the, to the limitations of the, of the ammo i've seen you know some 50 round groups essentially just a hole you know then telling them okay well whatever the limitations of the ammo group is we don't want to see the limitations of that we want to see the limitations of fundamentals so push it back so that you start to see 
some sort of a, a pattern yeah, shift yeah. that's different than just the ammo. Um, and for some shooters, it's between 50 and 100. Okay. But they were saying like, okay, well, you know, here's my big ragged hole uh, from, from doing repetitions. Like, well, we, we, we can't really see any flaws there because what we're seeing is that your barrel and ammo, that's the limitation. We need to push it out so that it stops being a circle. Yeah. And we start to see shifts. And then, and so there's a little bit of uh, a play that goes into the 22 just based on the ammo and barrel combinations and their ability to shoot. Because, uh, you know, people have now tuned their 22s. Mm-hmm so tightly with their ammo and barrel that um you know just just pick something that that exacerbates whatever fundamental flaws you've got and that's going to be somewhere between 50 and 100 Mm. um but 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 at 100 might be too far uh if there's any wind because now you're going to see the the winds now wind and we want to eliminate as many of the environmental variables as we can to be able to diagnose fundamentals and so um, that's the that's the problem with 22s in the craft is that at 100 you you you're gonna see wind shift and we don't want that to cover up fundamentals yeah, yeah. and, and so, i think yeah, that that's tricky you're wanting to push it beyond where like you say that one ragged hole because yeah it's very hard to figure out any data for that if it's everything shoot because it's just very hard to decipher what's going on but yeah not so far that the environmentals are starting to affect things more than probably what you're shooting is mm-hmm. so, good point is something I'll um where I'm at the range we can set targets up from yeah well closer now to 100 that the easy range to go to so yeah very good point for 22s i mean it's funny now we've got there's some more there's voodoo's turning up in krgs to the 22 shoots and, and uh, you know, we're, from where 22 shooting has come to these rigs, it's quite insane how quickly they've progressed and how the rigs that are turning up, you know, a, a, um, a, a Voodoo and a KRG with a, a Schmidt or a Night Force or a big, a big Vortex or something on top of it is a hell of a rig for a, a 22 LR, that, that little cartridge that used to just be for pest control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but, but they sure are fun. Oh hell yeah, and and wouldn't wouldn't say no. Um, yeah, <laughs> all good. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, again, thank you very much for the time. We'll be uh, checking in soon as well. Um, I'll put links and bits and pieces so guys can find out a little bit more information for you. Um, you're you're finished the surviving man show now. That's the yeah yeah, yeah. that's over, and so now I gotta try to. I'm, I'm I'm signed up for Mammoth, but that's in January. Okay. And so, you know, right now I'm doing carbine testing and and some development on the carbine side of things. I might shoot, you know, next year I'm going to try to see how much carbine I can shoot at precision rifle matches. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to do it, do carbines at the Hunter series. Um, you know, but uh haven't haven't quite figured out how to exactly do that and fit into the categories. Mm. Um, but mm. we'll see we'll see what happens. We, we'll we figure have, it out by the yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Well, unfortunately, we got next with the uh, all the semi-automatics just as we were getting to the point where you're seeing the odd one turning up at a precision rifle match and playing with that as an idea. And then, um, yeah, we lost the semis in New Zealand, but that, it is what it is. So, Yeah, well, hopefully the hunter-style stuff comes out there if, they, if it hasn't already because that is really, really rewarding. 
and it yep. and it kind of bridges a lot of gaps between styles of shooting. And I, I've been to a few of them this year just to see a better, larger, broader community kind of celebrate shooting more than just caring about who, you know, who got first place. People are saying, wow, this was really fun. And and some of that is because you know you're moving and shooting the whole time. Yep. And then there's also kind of outlets that that um allow people to come with different systems and not feel like they have to compete against anybody else, which is pretty cool. I, I hopefully that spreads more and mm. turns into a kind of a new style because because it's cool. I, I think in New Zealand, because of the nature of the ranges, often the, the field shoots are being held on uh, private land or non I'll rephrase it, non-square ranges. So mm -hmm. the field shooting in New Zealand tends to lead a little bit, lean a little bit and always has more towards that hunter style and more towards the um, uneven terrain, you know, moving a lot with the gun rather than what people will call them a PRS style shoot or an NRL style shoot. But if you compare it to what we'll call it the pure PRS as a stateside versus what we're doing here, we are actually and always have been closer to where those hunter style shoots are coming through we're adopting yes. the team style shoots a lot quicker so i, I think yeah I, I think we will probably lean more towards that style a bit a lot quicker than than um the the we'll call it the nascar style of the prs um mm -hmm. which is good it's very there's a very big practical backing a lot of the match directors here um, have always had in the heads that it needs to be where's the practical application, where's the practical side of things. So, which which means yeah. it was interesting. Things like tripods got poo pooed for a long time until people started going. You know what? That's actually probably quite useful in the field. And guys start hunting with their tripods and, and adopt that as well. So, um, yeah, it's good to see. But yeah, there's always I can see in a lot of the match directors' heads there's always this question: well, Where's the practical application of what we're actually setting up, or we're we just setting up? Um, you know, goofy stages for this, the sake of it being a goofy stage. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, but it, it's definitely. I, I think it's been um, really exciting to see, and I really quickly jumped over to that. From you know, they don't have to set up props; they just have to set up kind of boundaries and then set out targets, and you have to find them and range yep. them, and then uh, you know, shoot, and you're walking around and. It's like I kind of always felt like, man, you know, here we have these rifles, and we talk about shooting all this stuff. But if you can't walk around with it, then what good is it? And yep. and so being able to go around a different terrain and and uh, walk around and 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 locate and range targets, I think that's a good skill to have, mm -hmm. and it plays right into the craft stuff. So. That's why we're leaning some of the new stuff that's coming out at craft towards that, um, you know, unknown range, unknown distance. And how do you solve that problem of, of engagement to, to maximize your ability to hit it. And, um, I'm going to test it at a local match that I'm going to host on the 25th of this month. Um, I've got kind of a craft based, uh, anything, but, NRL PRS style stages, but everything else I could come up with that actually tests shooting. Yeah. Um, without those, not that those aren't good, but but it but they've been so isolated and purified to that niche that that I think that that you know it's probably and 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 the answer has been 
well, it's too hard to set up a stage or a match that tests that other stuff. And I thought, man, I, I'm not so sure. So let's test it out. And so there's wow. an experimental match that I'm going to host out here um, in a couple of weeks. That's just an experiment to see what, what can we get away with? Um, and uh, I'll probably make a video about it and, and I'll <laughs> let you know. I'll let no you know because it'll be fun. <laughs> People are going to be like deer in the headlights maybe, but, but, um, but uh, you know, it, it, I, I hope it's good, you know, so. Okay. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm sure it will be. I've got I've got a note here, which will be for the next one. Is is uh, I've got a a note here going analog, which is something I've heard you talk about a little bit. So that's a that's a conversation for next time as well. I was watching your video with the uh, the kestrel and the compass. I was like, yeah, I can I can see I can see where this can lead as well. So oh yeah, for sure. We'll save that for next time. Actually, I I have a yeah one of my one of the stages is you know won't give anything away, but I've got these unusually shaped targets, and I won't have a range, and they can't use a rangefinder, and they can't mill it. So what do you do? They're going to have to walk their bullets in, and if they have good data when they make an impact, they could tell me how far away it is, and so they'll be scored based on their ability to, to use their hard data to to tell me what the range was based on their impacts. (laughs) <laughs> and uh yep and i think that's cool because um you know it could that could be useful yeah awesome anyway we'll we'll catch up all right man uh, thank you very much road. yeah i'll catch up soon all cool. right man take care